John 4, 28. The woman then left her water pot and went her way into the city and said to the men, come, see a man which told me all things that ever I did. Is this not the Christ? Is this not the Messiah? Then they went out of the city and came unto him. From this story in John chapter 4, the story of an unlikely missionary who understood this truth, my world is now my mission. God bless you. Please be seated. Jesus Christ was the most effective missionary in human history. Jesus was a missionary to our world. The Bible said that he was rich, but for our sakes he became poor, that we through his poverty might be made rich. Philippians said that he was in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation. He humbled himself, made himself in the likeness of men. What a savior Jesus was. What a missionary he was. When he reached out to a tax collector named Zacchaeus, he said, the son of man, Jesus Christ, he said, I have come to seek and to save that which is lost. But not only was Jesus an amazing missionary to our world, he inspired other people to embrace their mission to their world. In John chapter 4, Jesus met maybe the most unlikely missionary candidate in the days of his ministry. We do not know her name, but we know her reputation and we know her nationality. She was a Samaritan woman from that province that was despised by the Jews. She had a history of failed relationships. She was immoral, broken, and spiritually thirsty. In those days, for most people, there was no running water. Running water meant you ran down to the well to get it. Fetching water in those days was the task mostly of women. And it was performed either early in the morning or late in the afternoon when it was cooler. Women would congregate to chat while they filled their pitchers with water from Jacob's well in the city of Sychar in the province of Samaria. Um, in Sychar, one woman was always late. Had she lived in 17th century Boston, Massachusetts, she might have worn a scarlet letter A. But to avoid humiliation, ridicule, and uncomfortable stares from her neighbors in that small city, she went to fetch water at noon. Of course, it was hotter at noon than it was early in the morning, but it was a trade-off for her. The other women, the, the good ones, had already come and gone and were back home going about the chores of their busy days. Jacob's well was there. She, unlike them, was very careful, guarded. 
Avoidance for her was a way of life. On this notable day when she arrived at the well, there was only one other person there. It wasn't someone she recognized. It wasn't a neighbor. It wasn't a woman. It was a man, a stranger to her. Based on the way he was dressed, based on his attire, she identified him as not being from that area. He was dressed like a Jew. He said that he was thirsty and wanted a drink. She was suspicious and curious. She had had a lot of experience with men, but she had never met a man like him. There was nothing suggestive in his demeanor. And his warm gaze went to the depths of her soul and was dry and thirsty. The Bible tells a story about the woman at the well that Jesus left Judea, the province in which Jerusalem resided. He was going to Galilee. If you looked at a map, the most direct route was through Samaria. But the Jews have no dealing with the Samaritans. It was lower class people they didn't associate with. So typically they would go around Samaria to get to Galilee if they were traveling from Judea. But the Bible says that Jesus must needs go through Samaria. Now for some people, Samaria would be a place that weighs would take you through, a neighborhood that you really wish you could have avoided. But Jesus, he went there on purpose. And he got to Sychar, and in his humanity, the Bible said he was tired. He was wearied from his journey. He sat on the well. King James said it was about the sixth hour, which means it was high noon. There's Jesus, very tired, sitting on this well or near the well, and he sent his disciples away to get food, which is a very wise thing to do. This woman, who had carefully planned her visit to the well to avoid everybody else, saw him. And when Jesus saw her, he said to her, would you please give me to drink? Now, you know, it's good that the disciples were gone because some people can really mess up a missional conversation. Some people can miss the point. So she looks at him when he asked her for water, said, how is it that you, being a Jew, are asking a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? And then she kind of said what was conspicuous, the elephant in the room. She said, the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. I don't know why you're talking to me because your people don't talk to my people. It was a perception of prejudice that had existed for generations. And then Jesus says something that is totally out of context to what's going through her mind. He said to her, if you knew the gift of God, if you knew who you were talking to right now, then you would ask of me to give a drink of water and I would have given you living water. Now Jesus is thinking spirit and she's thinking spring 
bubbling water, not one you have to drop your bucket in. She looks at him, and they're totally in different worlds. She said, sir, you don't even have a bucket. The well is really deep. Where are you going to get that living water? And then she says, are you greater than our father Jacob? They, they mutually believed that Jacob was their father, the Samaritans and the Jews. And are you greater than Jacob who gave us this well? I mean, for generations we've been coming here. This is a special place to us. And what have you got that Jacob didn't give us? He drank from this well and his livestock. We've been going to this same well for generations. There's no other wells around here. She's kind of making the point that we've got a little connection here with Jacob. I know you're a Jew and I know I'm a Samaritan, but we share Jacob as our father. Well, Jesus says, whoever drinks of this water is going to thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give them will never thirst but the water that I will give them will become a, a fountain, a well of living water that is springing up into everlasting life. Not just life, but everlasting life. And she said, sir, give me this water. I like that idea. So that I won't ever have to come here to drink again and I'll never be thirsty again. Conversation is going pretty good so far. And then Jesus says something that just stuns her. He looks at her and said, go call your husband and both of you come back here. She says, um, I have no husband. And Jesus said, that's true. You said the truth that you have no husband. In fact, you have had five husbands. And the man you're living with now is not your husband. When you said, I don't have a husband, you actually told the truth. That might have been a rarity for her. I don't know. And then she, she just, just spoke this really revelatory statement. Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. We've never met. How did you know that? Now, then she dodges this probing question to go, come call, go call your husband. She says, you know, uh, speaking of religion, our fathers worshiped on this mountain, and you Jews say that you should worship in Jerusalem. Well, let's talk about something else than the man I'm living with and my sordid past. And Jesus says, woman, believe me, the hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers, they're not going to worship in this mountain. They're not going to worship in Jerusalem. Then he said, you know, you worship what you don't know. You don't even know what you're talking about. Salvation is of the Jews. That had to sting. I, I know that you all worship here, but you don't even know what you're worshiping. And you've got it all wrong here in Samaria it sounds really condescending, but it's not. He said the true worshipers, they're going to worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father is seeking such to worship him. And then she diverts again. She said, you know, let's talk about religion again. That's a very safe subject. 
I know that the Messiah is coming, one who's called the Christ, and when he comes, he's going to tell us all things. And Jesus looked at her and said, the original language of the New Testament, she looked at, he, he looked at her and said, I am. The one that is talking to you, I am he. But in the original, it's those two words that you oneness Pentecostals are familiar with. He said, I am the Messiah. Now, directly in the book of John, there are seven times when Jesus said, I am. I am the self-existent one. I am the I am that appeared to our father Abraham. I am God Almighty in the flesh. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the door that leads to salvation. I am the good shepherd that guides you through life. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And I am the true vine that is the source of all life. And Jesus looked at her and said, the one that is talking to you, I am that Messiah. Now, this woman, who has a past she would rather forget, has just had the greatest revelation that the world could ever know, spoken to her one-on-one -on -one at a well. I am the Messiah, God with us. What is amazing about this story and the stories that you can have this week is that in a matter of minutes, Jesus led this woman from a life of dead in relationships and regrets to a future of forgiveness and hope. She found the source of living water to quench her thirsty soul. She learned in this conversation that worship is in spirit and in truth, not in your religious tradition. She was ready to make a change in her life for all of her failures, all of her past, she was spiritually thirsty. And Jesus is still standing there at the well. From the story, I don't think he got his drink of water. This woman, she's filled with so much wonder and excitement at what she heard. She turned and, and walked or ran away, and the Bible said that she went back into the city where she came from, John 4, 28. The woman then left her water pot and went her way into the city and said to the men, come see a man which told me all things that ever I did. Is not this the Christ? She left her water pot at the well. You could see that water pot as symbolizing her own mission in life, to find something to just get through another day. But she would fill her body with water and still walk away feeling thirsty. She filled her life with relationships, but they still left her feeling unloved. Her old life was one that was trial and errors. Her old life was a life of survival. And that day, she walked away from her old life and back to her world because she knew that my world is my mission. 
Sychar was her world. Come see a man that told me everything I ever did. This stranger that I met at the well, he didn't know anything about me, but he knew everything about me. With other strangers, she could have maintained that religious facade. With others, she could hide the history of failed marriages, five of them to be exact, but not with Jesus. He knew the sordid details of her past, but he saw beyond that sin to see her thirst. She looked beneath, he looked beneath her actions to see the hunger of her soul. And he was ready to redeem her from her past. He walked into her world to find her and forgive her. He was the greatest missionary of all times. But now her world became her mission. You know, the people that lived in Sychar knew her. But she knew people in Sychar, many who were like her, that lived thirsty lives, filled with condemnation. And she, to me, is this unlikely missionary. She has no credentials. She never met a mission board. She was not a licensed minister. In fact, she had no credibility. She was not really a believable person. She had lived a horrible past. But she had one thing that she used to her advantage. She had a testimony. She didn't try to engage those men in theology like she did Jesus. She just went to them and said, come see a man. Come see the one who told me everything I ever did. Isn't this the one we've been looking for? Isn't this the one we've been waiting on? And isn't that the essence of what we've been called to do? Sometimes we should engage in Scripture and teach a Bible study. But initially, it's really telling our story. She doesn't have a Bible study to teach. But she does have this testimony, this story of who Jesus is and what, she said, what he said to her. Come see this man. He looked past my sin. He saw my pain. He knew I had a thirst that could not be satisfied at Jacob's well. He knew that I was trying to camouflage the condemnation that I was carrying. Come see a man. John 4, 29. Come see a man. Which told me all things ever I did is not this the Christ. Now here's this lady. I don't know what she looked like or what she was wearing. Women of that day were extraordinarily modest by our modern standards. She goes back and she starts telling everybody she sees. And the Bible said that Samaria is really stirred up spiritually by her story. This unlikely missionary. And they went out of the city and came to Jesus Christ. And there's a revival that takes place in Sychar, this underprivileged people who go out to see Jesus. The Bible said that many of the people of that city believed on Jesus for the saying of the woman. They heard what she said, and there was credibility in her story because she was just transparent and honest to just tell what Jesus had done for her. The Bible said that 
that the Samaritans came out to Jesus and they, they begged him if he would stay with them. And the Bible said that he abode there two days. He stayed with them. And many more people believed because of the words of Jesus Christ. And they went and told the woman, you know, we initially believed because of what you said, but now we believe for ourselves because we've heard Jesus and this is indeed the Christ, the Savior of the world. My world is my mission. But, but what in the world is a missionary? You know, a missionary is one who goes, but, but where? Do all missionaries leave their countries to go to another country? To be a missionary, do you have to get on a 747 and go across the seas? To be a missionary, you have to travel thousands of miles away from home. To be a missionary, do you have to learn a second or third language? To be a missionary, do you have to cross national borders? Maybe, maybe yes, but maybe no. Maybe you're a missionary right now. And maybe your world, not maybe, but your world is your mission field. My world is my mission. My world is where I, where I live and where I work. It's the people with whom I interact as I come and go in life. My world is where I go by choice. Sometimes it's the world I go into by circumstances like the hospital or the repair shop. The unlikely places God leads you like he led that little slave girl to the house of Naaman, the Syrian. My mission is like the mission of the woman at the well. To go tell everybody in my world what Jesus did for me. It's that simple and uncomplicated. It is the greatest work in the world. My country, my county, and my community are my mission field. And whether it is around the corner or around the globe, wherever lost people are found, my world is my mission. And why is that important today? Because this week is missions conference. Every day is missions conference. But this week is missions conference. And on Wednesday night, we're going to hear the story of the Booker family who went near to where they lived to plant a church in Union, Missouri. Jordan Booker and his family just planted near where they were. On Sunday, we're going to hear from Nathan Herod. He and Tanya took their kids and, and went across the ocean to Spain to be missionaries there. And now he serves as regional director for the continent of Europe. We're going to hear how God called them and what God has done through them and how our giving has made a difference for them. Next Sunday, we'll make our annual faith promise commitments and we'll tell the Lord that we're going to give, but we're also going to go. In the next eight days, we're going to be reminded, my world, my mission. Now, I read a lot about missionaries in the last month or so preparing for this message, but, you know, being a missionary is just going wherever God calls you. Being a missionary is walking through open doors of opportunity to share the gospel. And missionaries primarily 
preach the gospel where Jesus Christ is not known or where he is not named. In other words, it's not sitting around in a holy huddle telling one another what Jesus has done for us. That's good, but that's not what missionaries do. They go where people don't know. Missionary connects to people on common ground so they can lead them to holy ground. A missionary communicates the gospel in a way that bridges cultural chasms and leads lost people to salvation, to the truth of being born again of water and spirit, being baptized in Jesus' name, and filled with the gift of the Holy Spirit. The call of God, I told you, may take you across the sea, but it also may take you across the street or next door. Yesterday, we had a wonderful memorial service for Brother Victor Williams. Brother and Sister Williams, Victor and Carolyn Williams, had an early experience. She did. She was growing up. The church they were attending burned down, and they visited for a little while in a Pentecostal church. She remembers it as a little girl. Their praise, their prayer, that that was a different kind of church. But Victor and Carolyn Williams, living in northern Illinois, we're not really going to church as I understand it from her story. They were in their mid-50s when their neighbors came and talked to them and invited them to go to church in Grand Prairie, Wisconsin, across the state line, about 45 minutes away, as I recall. Sister Carolyn Williams told me that when they got there, it was a church of a culture that was mostly not like them. But they were so welcomed there and so loved there that it was there that they repented of their sins, were baptized in Jesus' name, and were filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost. It was in that little church that they found a place of ministry to make a difference. And then after retirement in 2017, they moved here and connected with our church. But all of that is because a neighbor went next door and invited Victor and Carolyn Williams to come to church with them. It's a missionary. My world is my mission. The call of God will always make your world your mission. This week, we're going to be singing a song more than once that says, send me, send me, I'll go anywhere. I'll go anywhere. Hear my heart respond to resounding yes. I will trust you all my days. Till your name is heard in the darkest place. I will shine the light of Jesus. Send me. My wife and I were in Bible college and I met her there and we became engaged. And then one missions conference in Bible college there is a very strong missions call. And so at lunch that day, we're sitting together eating. And I looked at her and said, I, I need to ask you a question. Planning to get married, but how would you like to be married to a missionary? And she said, I need to pray about it. 
I like that response. And she did pray about it, and she said yes. I'll go anywhere God calls us. When I was 16 years old, I prayed that prayer, send me. And God called me to an altar of commitment to a relationship with him. I prayed that same prayer when I was 18 and God led me to a missions trip to Korea. I prayed it again when I was 19 and the Lord led me to go to Bible college. I prayed that prayer again with my fiance and the Lord led us to serve as a youth pastor in Jackson, Mississippi. We prayed that prayer again when we were about 30, 31, and the Lord led us to serve in youth ministries for the United Pentecostal Church in St. Louis. And then when I was 39, we really prayed that prayer again, and the Lord called us to come to Atlanta West. I prayed that prayer many times in my life, often not knowing where that prayer, the answer to that prayer would lead, but I've learned this, that it doesn't have to be complicated. It's my world. That's my mission. If you're from Sychar and you have no credentials and no credibility, if all you've got is a testimony, then take that testimony back to your world and say, come see a man that told me everything I ever did. Is not this the Christ would you come to church with me? Would you go to dinner to me? Would you join a small group with me? Can we sit down and talk about what Jesus has done for me? My world. My world is my mission. Amen. And I've learned this wherever God opens the door, it will lead you to an open heart. I taught about it on Wednesday, October 11th. My world is my mission. Now today, I think you know, if you're a guest here today, that I've been talking to our church family, that my world is my mission. And their world is their mission. Their school, neighborhood, place of employment, your social groups, your friends and family, that's your mission field. But I want to get right down to the heart of the mission right now because some of you are like the woman at the well. I'm not saying you're as sinful as her, that you've done as many despicable deeds as she had. I'm not saying that you have lived a morally bankrupt life but even if you have, Jesus Christ goes to where you are in a little city that nobody wanted to go to at a time when no one else would come but a woman who tried to avoid everyone possible. And he was there not to just uncover her past and exploit her failures, but he was there to quench the thirst of her soul. And while I preach to the choir, the members of our church today, I want to tell you that you are the mission field. 
that you're the reason I'm preaching this message. You're the reason this church exists. You're the reason we have every ministry here. You are our mission. And today may be a divine appointment for you, just like it was for a woman who had five failed marriages who met Jesus Christ at a well one day. You may not be like her. You may, you may be like the man that came to Jesus by night. In the previous chapter of John, John chapter 3, he was a really religious man. He came to Jesus trying to figure Jesus out. And Jesus told him, you may be religious, but your first birth was not good enough. You must be born again. And whether you're really religious and come from a good and godly background, or whether you're the worst sinner in the city, Jesus Christ is here today because you are his mission field. And he has come to seek you and to save you today from your sins. In just a few moments, we're going to come gather at the front of our church. We call it our altar area, and we're going to pray. Whether you stay and pray where you are, or you gather with our church family, and I hope you do, Jesus Christ is calling you out of a life of spiritual thirst to the satisfying spirit that will change your life and will change your eternity. Would you bow your head? And let's pray today. Lord, as I thought through this moment right now, as I put words into a laptop, felt like, Lord, I needed to say that there's someone here who is dealing with anger issues. They've got anger inside of them that erupts at the most, really the most terrible times. It's a floating anger, God, a bitterness that's inside of them that they can't get rid of, Lord, and it's undermining relationships, brings more condemnation on them. They don't seem to be able to control the anger that is perhaps birthed from deep hurt. And I pray, Lord, today that you would go past the anger to the point, to the cause, Lord. And that you would forgive the sin and you would heal the hurt. Would save that person's soul. I pray today, Lord, for people who have had moral failures in their life. And they feel that they're not worth saving. I ask you, Lord, today as I've told the story of this woman who had a failed past, and you gave her a future of promise. I pray, God, today for all of us who may struggle with character flaws, Lord, people that are listening to me right now that have addictions they cannot break on their own. They've tried everything, Lord, but they go back. And they lie to themselves that tomorrow is going to be different and I can quit any time. But they don't. And they go back to that same well, trying to quench their thirst. But pornography cannot quench it. Drugs and alcohol cannot quench it. 
Illicit relationships cannot quench it. It's a thirst that will not go away. Today, Lord, you can deliver from any addiction. I pray, Lord, that you would begin this work right now. The person that just can't get relationships right, they keep finding themselves the same flaws, the same issues that caused them problems in the past, causing problems again in the present. And I thank you, Lord, that you've given us a promise today that if any person is in Christ Jesus, they are a new creation. That all things are passed away and all things become new. And I claim that promise for the woman at the well and for the religious leader Nicodemus or whoever, God, is honest enough to look at their soul in the mirror of your word and confess and forsake their sins to change them today. I pray, God, that you would soften their heart and heart and that you would let them know that there is hope today in Jesus Christ. Now, would you lift your hands to God, whoever you are and wherever you are in these stories, would you open your heart to God right now? And would you turn from your sins in repentance? With your own words, would you ask Jesus Christ to forgive you of your sins? Would you turn your life over to his lordship? Would you ask him for a drink of living water today that would satiate your thirst? That's it, religion will not save you, but a relationship will. If you're able, would you stand right now? I'm inviting everyone who's brave enough and physically able, would you step out from where you are? Would you join us at this altar? Come as close as you can. Altar counselors, please come. Please leave room in the aisles for others to make their way here. Leave room for others to come in behind you. Would you bring a friend with you? Bring a family member with you. Let's open our hearts to God. And whatever you need from the Lord, would you believe him right now to do for your friend or do for you? Amen. I said, move as close as you can. Leave some room in the aisle. If you're standing in an aisle, move to the side or move to the front. Thank you. That's it. Now we're getting ready to see Jesus Christ do his great work to forgive sins and deliver and to heal. And we're going to see God call us again to our world that is our mission. So everyone everywhere, would you lift your voice and would you pray right now? And if someone is near you who needs Jesus Christ, would you pray for them? Let's lift our voices. Amen. That's it. Lift your voices in prayer. There are people in our church family who need comfort. Come on. If you've been living a lie, why don't you come clean with God right now? Like the woman at the well, he already knows where you've been and what you've done. But he's still coming to you today. 
to forgive you of your sins. Yeah, that's right. He's coming to you today to deliver you from your past. 